Hey guys, welcome to the Crazy Juicy Love Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Allen. Yes! You know, this podcast is dedicated to bringing honest, authentic conversations so that you can have a healthy, happy, healthy, juicy love life. Here's Crazy Juicy Love. Hey guys, welcome back to the Crazy Juicy Love Podcast. And I have a extra special guest. Uh, his name is Michael Anthony. He's the author of Think I'm Broken. Um, thank you for just being here, Anthony. Yeah, of course. It's it's absolutely my pleasure. And I'm very much looking forward to this conversation. Um, I listened to a, a bit of your podcast before and I was just like, I like the way that you interview, so I'm very excited. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, it's so interesting. I like, it's like your picture. How do I discover you? It just like it just randomly came up on my feed, and I was like, "Oh, who is this?" And then I just started to see everything you were posting, and um, and I was just like, "Wow!" Like I really want to talk about this conversation, you know, uh, about you know trauma because I don't. Um, you know, for me, I'm a coach, and when I was in my program, we we often talk about trauma, but we would never say that we are a trauma coach. And so there was other people who are um, psychologists in my program that who was specified in dealing with trauma within relationships. So it was just like, I guess, you know, perfect that you have done this journey, all this work on yourself to like basically create this book, right? Well, you know, the, the book came, I think, by proxy. Um, it's mm-hmm. something that just kind of occurred. Uh, you know, I, I got serious about doing the work and getting healthy uh, about eight years ago. And, you know, as I kind of just shared my story and I would interact with people and I, I created a five-day trauma workshop that I posted in Bali and Singapore. And um, I'm working on some other workshops now. Uh, I had someone say something really interesting to me. And they're like, you should write a book about this because not everyone can do a five-day workshop and and I was like that's a really solid point and I'd always wanted to write a book so Mm -hmm. I just sat down and I was just like this is my only focus for second half 2019 and I'm gonna get it done hell or high water and on January 1st 2020 it will come out and that's what I did Wow so tell me like how your own personal journey to like even start to heal, even recognize your um, your own trauma. Because I don't, I mean, I, I, you know, as I was like looking through some of your stuff, I was like, oh my God, maybe I have been, you know, into uh, like some traumatic experience. I was just like, you know, on psych, um, psychology today, just like looking over like these things that stops us in relationships that could be um, <clears throat> an effect in, in affecting our relationships with oneself and in relationships so like like how did this journey even start to you to even get to this point to be a speaker created a whole like five-day course and even a book like how did that journey and why was that journey important to you yeah you, you know i i think that one of the things that often happens um and i see this time and again is people have a general understanding of something that perhaps wasn't quite right had occurred at their life Mm -hmm. um, but they had never really dove into it and so 
my childhood was insanely vicious. And by the time I was in my late 20s, what had happened is I got really sick. Um, I had been drinking too much, smoking too much. I was 150 pounds heavier than I am right now. I wasn't sleeping. I was the CEO of two companies simultaneously while balancing a relationship plus like cheating all the time and like just seeking love and validation from outside sources. And um, it it just kind of hit me one day. I'd never dealt with any of the bullshit of my past. I'd never like taken a moment to acknowledge that bad stuff had happened to me. I Mm -hmm. I just always said, you know what? This, somebody had it worse. Always discounting my past. Always kind of saying, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. This happens to everybody. And eventually what I realized is by keeping that stuff stuffed down in me, keeping that trauma, not that stuff, keeping the trauma stuffed down in me and put me in this position where my body was literally eating itself from the inside out because I felt like it, something was just trying to escape. Something was just trying to get out, to be explored, to be put into the world, to be taken off as a burden off my shoulders. And it wasn't until couple years into like really being serious about doing the work and I started to feel a little bit better day to day and uh, like almost four years ago I took this post and I put it on Facebook and it was just like this high level deep dive into my past because I'd carried it for at that point 30 years nobody I mean my my relationship prior to leaving Indiana um, we were together for seven years and someone who randomly finds me on social media will know more about me in seven seconds than she knew in seven years. That's because I just kept that stuff buried. And so the more I put it out, the more that people started to send me messages and emails and texts and just be like, hey man, what you're writing about, what you're sharing, what you're talking about is something I relate to. I had this experience or my dad did that or my mom did this or this thing happened to me and I understand. And more so, a lot of people are reaching out and saying, hey, thank you for being a voice in this space where no one is talking about this. Yeah. And and it wasn't my intention. Yo, Jimmy, when I started this, that wasn't my intention. I never meant to like be where I am right now sitting having this conversation with you. I was just simply trying to get some stuff off my shoulders while also sharing education that I found here and there because I realized like my brothers grew up in the same house I did. My sisters saw this. The foster kids I was around as a child, they, they experienced similar things and I was just like, okay, if my life is this chaotic and I have somehow gotten a place where at least it seems seemingly normal, if I just put some stuff out, maybe some other people will read it. And that's all it was. And I used mm. to run this blog called Michael Unbroken, which then like kind of transformed into Think Unbroken. And that's how it started. It was just me coming to terms with the fact that some fucked up stuff happened. <laughs> and in doing so, like I just needed an outlet. And, and that's all because I just carried it for so long. And what are like what are some of the fucked up things that happened that you realized like oh I need to really deal with this because I you know especially me as a coach I you know I run into you know a lot of men specifically or even when I'm not coaching when I and I'm talking to an individual and I know that they've been through an experience and they don't want to acknowledge that they've been through these things or even deal with healing like I, I'm just really curious of like what is one of the things that happened to you? You're like, oh, this definitely has an effect on my relationships and my ability to be in relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's such a really important point. And we grew up in a society where often as men, we're kind of told, don't be emotional. Don't right. have, <laughs> don't hug. I, I want to make a like, <laughs> 
dude, like, I want to make a stand. Can we get rid of the weird handshake man hug situation? Like, I want to just <laughs> I know, right? that thing. <laughs> like, come on, guy. Like, we can hug each other. Like, yeah, it, totally. It, just, it feels so inauthentic. A hundred percent agree. And so, like, growing up in the 90s in America, in the Midwest, where you you know, you put some dirt on it, you wipe it off and you keep going. Like that was my mentality. And so I knew (laughs) growing up and just kind of looking at the things that were happening in my life, that something was different. Something was askew. I I grew up in the Mormon church. My mother Mm. and my stepfather, they went to Mormon church all the time. And sometimes if there were craziness in our house or we had gotten evicted again or whatever, um, we would go live, my brothers and I, we would get separated. We'd end up living with these Mormon families for a couple of weeks at a time. And then we'd come back. And a lot of these homes, I would say upward 80% of them, and I've lived with probably 40 families as a kid. Oh, wow. um, They were like super great people who like fed their kid and didn't beat them and didn't like lock them in closets and didn't smash their heads into walls and all these different things. And uh, that kind of started being the indicator that something was not right. And this was probably at eight, nine years old. And so, you know, I came across in my late 20s, I'm going to go somewhere with this. I came across something (laughs) in my my late 20s called the ACE score or Adverse Childhood Experience Score. Hmm. Um, And so... In California in the 90s, a doctor put together this score um, or this research based on some of his clients who were coming in who were morbidly obese, who would lose weight, who would suddenly gain it all back. And one one day, one of his, his um, being Dr. Folletti, you guys can look this up, it's called ACE-score. Um, he, he was like talking to a client and she said, something just in passing that she had been molested as a child and she got triggered at work and suddenly it threw her back into her old ways where she is like um, eating out of control, right? Mm. And so this whole thing started where he got this permission and some money to start this research, research study to figure out if there was a correlation between obesity and childhood trauma. And then he started to find all these other pieces of the puzzle. Um, And so I came across this study and there's 10 questions and you can find the questions, but the high level is if you answer yes to one of these questions, chances are you will answer yes to two or more. And then as you scale up, if you answer yes to four more, you could be like 5,200% more likely to commit suicide. You could be like 4,000% more likely to have pulmonary embolism, 2,000% more likely to smoke, 2,200% more likely to be alcoholic. And I was looking at the score and I was like, oh wait, this is like so much of my life experience right here. And the questions are very simple. It's like, have you ever been sexually abused by an adult? Did your parents ever make you feel unsafe? Uh, did you witness a, a divorce? Did anyone in your family ever get arrested? And the list goes on and on. And, and you, I came across this and I started answering those 10 questions and my score was 10. I answered yes to every one of these questions that were indicative oh, wow. of childhood trauma being something that would be canatonic to your life as an adult. And so as I was a child and I was looking at the experiences happening around me, getting beaten in the middle of the night, um, getting starved, getting, um, I mean, mean, my stepfather was so demeaning. I had no self-esteem by the time that I was like 11 years old, man. I hated going to school. I hated like existing. I wet the bed and like that was a part of the abuse because I would literally get pulled out of my sleep in the middle of the night and my stepfather would beat the shit out of me. And just for no reason? Dude, for because I'll give you one reason. One time, my brothers and I we put wet dishes away in the cabinet. 
pre-dishwasher. And at three o'clock in the morning, he beat the shit out of my brothers and I for putting away wet dishes. And this was commonplace, right? And so I'm just thinking, oh, this is like the norm. Well, by the time I'm 11, my grandmother, I, I told her I'd been homeless. I'd been living, not technically homeless, I'd been living in our house. Um, which was his mother's house, which was this crazy environment. Just, you could feel the tension in that place. It was just Mm. really dark. And so I'd been living there. My mom had disappeared. She had disappeared, excuse me. She had divorced my stepfather. And for six weeks, I lived in this house by myself in the middle of the summer at 11 years old. And I was only bathing at school and eating at school and stealing food from the big lots around the corner in the gas station. But this is how I grew up, man. I didn't know any different. I just thought this was normal. And so one day my grandma comes, she takes me and like you would think on paper, that's great. Um, I'm biracial, black and white. My grandmother was an old white lady from a town called Sunbright, Tennessee, population 500 people. And she was racist as fuck. So by the time I'm like 12 years old, I'm having a complete identity crisis, right? It was so crazy. We had a copy of Mein Kampf like in our house, Hitler's autobiography. That's how insanely racist this person was. And so now I'm growing up in in an all black community with a racist white grandmother going to one of the worst schools in the country. I'm selling drugs, I'm doing drugs. I'm still in cars at 12 years old, man. I'm breaking in the houses, I'm running from the cops. Um, You know, I'm carrying guns. Like I'm on a one way trajectory to things that you only see in movies where people go, oh, that's not real life. And I'm like, no, yeah, it is. Life is fucking crazy for some people. And that was my experience. I don't graduate high school on time. Um, I'm like totally out of control. And the thing that I realized when I came across this study was that I was sick. I was killing myself. I had no self-esteem. I was hurting the people around me. I was burning down any sense of community that I may have had and I was drowning all of my emotions in alcohol and drugs and women and workaholism because to me the most terrifying thing in the world was being silent with my own thoughts Hmm. and when I came across that study everything changed and so I, I kind of sat and I reflected and I looked back to my childhood and I was like oh well I actually got a lot of fucked up stuff that I need to deal with and, and that kind of started the, the process. I just got to the point where I, I was just tired of myself. <laughs> I was just tired of my own bullshit, man. And I had to look at myself in the mirror and make a declaration that I was going to change because one of two things was going to happen, Jimmy. I was going to change or I was going to die. And I only had probably a couple of months to figure that out. Mm, wow. You know, it's interesting. Like, <clears throat> like I see a lot of men who do those things like, you know, oversex themselves over on drugs and you know drink and i remember there is a particular gentleman i work with i do like some side stuff on the side and um and i knew he i didn't know he had broken up with his girlfriend at the time and so you know when you you've been coaching a lot you kind of like started to read into people the language and, and what they're saying and and i kind of made a joke out of what i said i was just like oh what you're drowning yourself in alcohol he was like well, he hasn't, you know, he hadn't stopped drinking since the breakup. Like he'd been blacking out every other night. And like, and then when I offered, I said, well, you know, if you want some help, you know, let's have a conversation. And he kind of like made fun of me of like, you know, oh, I'm just looking for a new client. I was like, it, it wasn't about me looking for a new client. I'm just like, I have a, a capabilities to help you. You don't have to 
choose to drown yourself in alcohol. You don't have to choose to drown your sorrows or be out or spend your money. Like you can actually get some help, you know? So, you know, I'm curious of like, <clears throat> what are some of the steps that you started to take um, or books, things you books, or even if you did uh, therapy, like what are some of the stuff that you started to take in order to like work on this journey, work on this part of yourself to on your healing journey? Yeah, I, uh, I want to acknowledge something that you said. And a lot of people, men, especially we drown ourselves in things that keep us from having to face the truth. Right. And, it, and, and yeah. go now I'm just going to say something that what you were just saying, it's like, you you drown those you drown yourself in those things to avoid the conversations with yourself to like really stop looking or dealing with the thoughts the things you've done absolutely because the the hardest question that we will ever ask ourselves is who am i yeah. and i was so afraid of my own reflection in the mirror and my own capacity to do something great or impactful or powerful because everything had been stripped from me i mean i, I grew up in this situation where even just putting on my shoes could result in chaos, right? And wow. so uh, whatever agency that I, I had had to be built and created. And so the person sitting in front of you right now, Jimmy, this Michael, I created this Michael from scratch mm -hmm. because I had to make a declaration to create change in my life. And it was an arduous process that was so incredibly <clears throat> hard that I'm surprised it didn't kill me because it's so, like the wow. reflection and the work and the gym and the diets and the getting my mind right and all of those things took a very long time. But it all started very simply with just taking the first step. And I think the very first thing that you have to do is just acknowledge that something bad happened to you and it's mm. dark and it's, it's uncomfortable. And you have to look in the mirror and come to terms with the fact that your life isn't some bright, sunny fucking movie that people <laughs> wrote. It's right. not. And, and you also have to acknowledge that a lot of people have gone through some really dark stuff. From there, I think the most important thing that you can do is have outside help. I think a therapist certainly plays a role, but uh, you know, sometimes therapy can keep you caught in this loop yeah. where you're always talking about the same thing that happened. And for a long time, I, I thought therapy was something that is always mandatory and always necessity. And, and now years removed from the beginning of this journey, I use therapy as a, oh, this thing happened. I need to speak with someone so I can kind of decipher and distill down to its lower common denominator, like why this thing happened or why I'm behaving this way. Versus therapy being like, oh, I just constantly have to go and go and go and I'm always reliving the past. I, I think that there's a role and you have to determine which role you want it to play for you. But like, that's such a great jumping off point. So is mentorship. So is coaching. I, I, I realized early on in my healing journey, as I was kind of like 25, 26, I was going to therapy and I was paying this therapist hundreds of dollars a month and telling him what I thought he wanted to hear. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, you you're wasting your money. <laughs> yeah. Well, not only are you wasting your money, you're wasting your time uh, and you're yeah. lying to yourself. And so when this really interesting thing happened, I had this mentor, I used to be a professional photographer, and I noticed a couple things happening from my time spent speaking with him, but then also from 
the people that I looked up to just across the board in entrepreneurship or in um, business or other authors or writers or things like that. And, and the one caveat, excuse me, not caveat, the one thing that they all had in common, the catalyst that I noticed that helped invoke change in me is that they all owned themselves unapologetically. Mm. And that I was so scared of doing. I only ever cared about what people thought about me, which is weird when you think about, oh, I was 350 pounds smoking two packs a day, drinking every night and cheating on my girlfriend. But the only thing that I ever cared about was what other people thought about me. And so I started diving into these books and a lot of it was mindset. A lot of it was trauma informed. Um, you know, I, I started thinking about, okay, who are the people in the world that create and make the most change? And it's entrepreneurs. That's kind of what I thought. And, you know, over the course of the beginning, I started just diving into like white papers on the web on the internet and PubMed and reading up and learning about trauma and how to kind of just step into it and understand it and own it and kind of work through it. And yoga was such a huge part of this yeah. in the beginning. I think those were like the three most important things, acknowledging, okay. doing yoga, like, cause I just needed to connect my brain to my body. I was so dissociated, which many yeah. trauma survivors are because it's, it is the natural human mechanism designed for survival when we remove our brain from our body because we're always in fight or flight, right? So the yeah. sympathetic and sympathetic nervous system are all over the place. And I realized that through yoga and meditation, after reading about the vagus nerve and the sympathetic nervous system and how to like calm those things, that yoga was like a no brainer. Mm-hmm. And so I'm reading these books, I'm doing yoga and, and I start journaling. I'd always written, I've, I've been a writer since I was a little kid, but I, I never really wrote truth. It was always in, like, Fiction. Mm. It's really funny juxtaposition because I only read nonfiction, but until that point, I'd only just written fake stories. So I'd only been writing fiction because I was so scared of like my own reality. And then I started journaling like real stuff. And I started journaling in the past. I started writing about all those things because there was something about like getting it off my chest that made it kind of lose power. Yeah. I, I remember I was watching this horror movie when I was like 10 years old and the the whole thing was if you acknowledge something is scary it loses all of its power over you yeah you give it less power yeah and, and so that that's just kind of where i started you know i started changing my diet because i've read up on inflammation and we know more about diet i would say in the last 10 years than we ever have, <laughs> have known yeah, in the know, history right? of the world yeah and and you, and you gotta keep in mind man, i was like 350 pounds and to me, like, it's crazy to look back at that. And I've literally lost like 150 pounds. I lost a human being, but I didn't know about diet because I grew up, my grandmother was Southern. She fried everything in lard and we ate fried everything. And I don't think I had a salad till I was like 20 years old, dude. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and food was an escape for me. I would like eat a whole chocolate cake and a gallon of milk oh even wow you feel awful <laughs> Dude, you don't get a 350 pounds <laughs> oh, by fucking magic you gotta put in some effort i know one and, of my best friends used to eat a whole pizza every day for in, in high school and i was just like wow yeah man it's easy it's easy when you hate yourself it's easy mm. to just torture yourself and that's what it was it was harder for me to eat something healthy than it was to feel like shit mm. and uh, i think eventually i had to just come to this place where like that there was a breakdown point. And so it's, it's kind of just this accumulation of all of this stuff, like coming together at the same time 
Um, but and ultimately, I think the most important piece of the whole puzzle was I was willing to do whatever it took, mm. and financially, uh, it, like emotionally, mentally, physically, I started pushing myself harder than I'd ever pushed because, like, on a business aspect, I could work twenty hours a day; it never bothered me. But to meditate for four minutes, man, forget Oof. about that shit. <laughs> you, want, yeah. you want me to be alone? No, thank you. <laughs> With myself. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I mean, you really said a lot of great key things to that journey, like mindset, meditation, mentoring, coaching, you know, and, um, and I want to just hit on like the mindset because that's sort of like even being an entrepreneur, like just learning that mindset is everything. And so, and then this other key point that I had wrote down before, like and the willingness to go through that journey, the willingness to heal, the willingness to look at those dark places. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a huge part of your your journey, the willingness to go there for X amount of years that it took you to get to to where you are. I'm curious if like, when you talk about mindset, like, can you talk a little bit more of like, what is the mindset that you had to start to develop in order to be on this journey of like your healing journey? I, I love this question. Um, it didn't hit me for a few years that what I was doing was developing my mindset because it wasn't really a thing that anyone talked about right. 10, 12 years ago. It's becoming more and more popular now. Yeah, exactly. And so I didn't, I didn't recognize that that is what I was actually doing. I was just in this place where I'd made a decision and a declaration that no matter what, I was going to do the work, whatever right. that work looked like, I was just going to do it. Like I was like, to me, I'd hit rock bottom. And when you hit rock bottom, you have to kind of assess things from a different perspective. Yeah. Because my rock bottom left me in this place where I was going to, I was going to die. And I'd, mm. I, I've, I've gotten this really weird thought in my head when I was young that I was supposed to be a rock star. <laughs> I don't, let me not. Ch- I don't think it's weird. It was like my only childhood dream. I was like, I want to be the drummer of the Foo Fighters. Like <laughs> that to me, be, because I, I started playing drums when I was young. It was an outlet. It helped me get out. And uh, you know, slowly that got stripped away. My mother sold my drum set for pills, and mm, my stepfather wow. was like, "You're not gonna do that. You're a loser." I literally remember him telling me this. Wow. And so my mindset was buried in this idea all the way up until this moment that I was never going to be able to do anything. And it began, the most important thing is I went in the mirror and I just looked at myself in my own eyes for five, seven, ten minutes. I don't even remember what the number was. And I was just like, you know what? I I believe in myself. And that was so hard. Dude, I just sat there and cried. I was like, and I was like, it's not my fault. And I just, you have to come to terms with the fact that the other, the person on the other side of the mirror is you. And I'd never done that because I'd only ever looked at that mirror as like, how does my hair look? How does my face look? You know, how do my clothes look? But I never looked at it and went, how does my soul look? Mm. And so, you know, I started doing that and it became a daily practice and a daily habit. I I saw this, um, the Scorsese film, Any Given Sunday. And there's a scene where Bill Bellamy's character, I wish I could remember his name, but I don't, um, is a wide receiver. He's getting ready to play this game. He's in the mirror. 
And he looks at himself, he goes, I am the best wide receiver of all time. And I realized watching that damn movie is like, that's what you're supposed to do. Because if you're not your hero, who the fuck's going to do it for you? Nobody, nobody. And so every day, and I still do it. I still, every day I come to, I have a coming to Jesus moment where I'm looking at myself in the eye. I'm like, what can I do better? What do I need to acknowledge? How do I need to live? And it's just like, it's an accumulation of all these things. So you're just always pounding it into your head. Always, Mm. always, always, always. Because I realized I had to replace all of my negative self-talk with positive yes. and this took years dude mm. this literally took me longer than anything else and i was in a men's group therapy in portland when i first moved here four years ago and i'm sitting there it's like three weeks in or something like that and i'm in this room it's proctored by an actual therapist and you know i was, I was having this conversation with one of the guys in the group and he goes you should read this book called radical acceptance by tara brock And it's a book entirely about the way that we talk to ourselves. because I've been really good about some things and really bad at other things. I was still calling myself stupid, retarded, dumb, even saying it like I hate even saying that. And Mm -hmm. I didn't realize until I had this conversation with him that that was still keeping me kind of trapped in this loop. And I was still stuck in this vortex that I've been creating, even though other things were feeling better about my life. And he says, read this book. It will change your life. I promise. And dude, I am not even joking. I read three chapters of that book. It changed everything I know about myself. Wow. The one, and I never finished it. I want to be clear. I'm not going to lie to you. I have no idea what the rest of the book is about. But I know that the first three chapters changed my life because something happened that clicked for the first time. And it was that I realized that I had permission to be nice to myself. Mm. Wow. And that was like the second layer of the mindset. And then it's just been in my head. I've just been kind of hardening it like pushing my boundaries, setting my goals, writing down what it is that I want to accomplish, assessing myself weekly and monthly and even daily sometimes and just trying to figure out the person that I want to be in the world. But I mean, to get to this point, to answer this question, it's literally taken me 10 years. Wow. I mean, (laughs) that's like, you said a real mouthful. I'm just like, I'm really curious of like, because I've had those moments where you look in the mirror, I'm curious if like, is that something that you inst- instinctively did on your own or like that was cause you were in the men's therapy group, like what, you know, got you up and like did that, that, that mirror work. Cause that's such some things that I, you know, instill in my clients that, you know, doing mirror work, saying these affirmations, saying these, um, you know, affirming things that you want to create in yourself, even though it's not, happening right now, but like really having, you know, that deep look within yourself, that almost that conviction and what you said earlier, like declaring it to yourself to this is going to happen. This is who I'm going to be. So I'm curious of like, what made you do that? Like, what, like, how did you know to do that? So the day that happened, I was like 27 and a half. It was like, or almost 28. It was almost before my birthday. And I was getting ready. I was an international wedding photographer at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was getting ready to go and do another wedding show where you do an expo and everybody comes and they like see your photos and they get their dress and their cake. And I always booked my most clients that way. And the night before I'd went out and drank almost a whole bottle of tequila and I'd smoke like two packs of cigarettes. And I was so freaking hungover, dude. Like I felt like death. 
And I walked into the bathroom and I was buttoning up a size 4XL shirt and putting oh, wow. on a size 47 pants. I couldn't get the damn button button, so I had to just tighten the belt so it looks like the button's button. And I was just like, enough, enough, because I, I, I had let myself down so many fucking times leading up to that moment. I was the king of it. I was the king of letting myself down. And why I did that, I don't know. Dude, I will never be able to explain to you. And maybe it was because of that movie that I just mentioned. It just felt like the thing that I needed to do. I needed to hold myself accountable. And it felt like the only way to do that was to come face to face with who I was. And, and I just, I hated who I was. I literally did. And, you know, I, I've just made a decision that in this moment, everything's going to change. And I don't, I don't know where it came from. I don't know why it happened, but it just felt like the right thing to do. Mm, Wow. I really, really love that. And I, I, and I know I've had those moments where I just looking at the mirror and it's having that conviction within yourself. Like it really shifts something in your, your mind and your being and how you operate in the world and you become almost, there's a shift that happens in you when that happens. And I'm just so, I'm, I'm glad that you took that step and in, in your healing. Um, uh, I, I, I ran across something on your uh, Instagram, like how do you how do you date a trauma and PTSD person? So I'm curious if like you know like what are some of the signs? Because you talk about it um, on your uh, podcast, like like for people who are listening, like what are some of the signs that you are dating someone that's probably in trauma or some kind of trauma state or has PTSD? So like what are some of the signs that you know people can start to looking looking into? Like oh, I'm in a situation yeah that's that's a tough question because i i think it manifests so differently in people yeah um i, I think the number one thing is follow your instinct and, and this could be a good or bad thing so i want to be careful how i say this i think that we all kind of inherently know if someone's not keeping it 100 with right. us Right. And, and sometimes that means you're just dating somebody who sucks, like realistically, but sometimes it might mean that you're dating someone who is so deep down the rabbit hole that they don't understand that what they're doing is wrong in IE the way they talk to you, the way that they treat you, the way that they behave with you, the way that you act in public, the way that they might be trying to control you, the way that they're trying to impact your thoughts, your ideas, the way you dress, like those things can definitely be trauma related. And I, I will only base this off my own experience. And I can say all that because that's how I used to date. If you didn't wear the clothes I liked, I would say something about it. If you didn't make food the way that I wanted it, I would say something about it. If I would try to <laughs> bend you towards my will because that is a sign of being controlling. Mm-hmm. Because again, my, my only thing that I understood to that point is that if I don't have control over everything, then I'm in chaos and being in chaos puts me in danger. And so Mm. even in relationships, even though this makes no logical sense in the conversation that we're having right now, to live day to day with someone and feel like um, at any moment they might find out who I was, was terrifying. And so they might find out that I'm weak. They might find out that I'm scared. They might find out that I was abused. Like I said, I was with my ex for seven years. Seven years, dude. She Mm. knew nothing about my past. And so... You know, I think that you have to be cautious in the way that you look at or look for signs because they're going to manifest in different ways. Yeah, I'm like, I'm curious, how did it even work? Because that's just like, I'm just so, I remember that reminds me of a story I read. This woman, she 
he she had a, uh, a husband who he never revealed his past. She never saw his family. Like he really separated um, and discovered that he had a whole nother life outside mm -hmm. of the relationship. So like, how did you manage to do that for seven years? Uh, well, cause I'd already done it twice before. <laughs> 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 my, my, every relationship that I had leading up um, to that one had been kind of a facade, right? Mm. We, we, I, I had constantly wore this mask of being this guy, you know, because to me it was like one of those things, like, let's say Jimmy that I met you when I was like 23 and we were sitting down having a conversation and you told me something and you're like, I really love this thing and I have zero interest in it. Well, I'm going to be like, you know what? I really love that thing too. Right. Because <laughs> I wanted, I wanted companionship. I wanted to feel seen. I wanted someone to, no matter what, it, even if I had to fake it, I just wanted someone to acknowledge my existence. Wow. And so balancing that was really about this idea of, I was too afraid to speak my truth, to talk about my wants, needs, interests, and the things that I needed from a relationship or wanted, or the things that I was interested in exploring or talking about or doing. And instead of keeping it real, I just lied or I hid or I went and found them from another place because the fear of rejection was so deeply embedded in me that it made more sense for me to just lie than to ask and possibly be told no. And that could be about anything. That's not even just like sex related. That could be about like doing a conference or that could be about like going to a place or buying a certain thing or, or whatever. Just all aspects of my relationships had been embedded and buried in this idea that uh, I wasn't going to get validation. And so thus I will go find it elsewhere. Well, yeah. You know, so it, it's, it's hard. And, and it was, how did I do it for so long? Um, it ate my fucking soul. Like it literally did, man. I would just be, my stress levels were so high. My anxiety was so high. I mean, just always lying, always like wow. on the razor's edge of being caught. And I realized there was something thrilling about it, mm. um, which a lot of people won't talk about. And, and I, I don't think I'm an anomaly in this, but there was something like exciting about the chase of the chaos of controlling the chaos because I had built, I had built it as chaotic to think about everything I just said, that's chaotic, but to control it and to be able to mitigate the risk associated it. And in the moments to get away with it just felt so great until it stopped feeling great until mm. I realized. And, and one of the things happened is I spent the last four years single by choice and it's super difficult um, because I realized like uh, next time I'm in a relationship, like I don't want anything like that. Mm. I guess because I'm assuming that now, because I was reading, you know, you talk about values. I'm sure that within these four years, you, you have been defining your values of what you want now. And like, why is that important? Because I, for me, I, I, I totally agree with you. Just like really having an understanding of your values. What do you want? What's important to you in your relationship this time around? It's so critical. You know, you talk about like, you know, 2000, 2020 is really understanding your values. So like what for you now, like what has shifted for you of your values in a relationship? Like what's important to you now going into I'm not sure if you're dating now, but like what's important to you now that you value the most and your next, hopefully next relationship? Yeah, that's that's a really great, I love that question. Um, 
before you can define values in a relationship with another person, you need mm. to be able to define values for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so I had to kind of a few years ago, I guess probably like five years ago now, I just sat down and I was just like, all right, what are my values? Who am I? What do I stand for? What is it that I want? Um, how is it that I want to carry myself in the world? What is it that I want to be like in a day-to-day -day basis? And so what came up for me, number one was honesty. Mm. Num over everything, honesty is the most important thing for me. Even if that means that in that process, some people's feelings are going to get hurt. I don't mm. do it intentionally ever, but I'm always going to keep it real yeah. because I am the best liar that you have ever met in your life. <laughs> I, I grew up having to lie to survive, man. I grew up wow. having to lie to cops. I grew up having to lie to teachers. I grew up having to lie to everyone around me. Um, what, and you know, I, I mean, I was in handcuffs so many times as a kid where I look back and go, if I would have said one thing one different way, I probably would have went to jail, right? Or if I said one thing one different way to a teacher, I would have gotten the shit kicked out of me even worse. And so it, it came, I came by this idea of being a liar, honestly, because it just made sense. It made sense not only from survival, but my mother was a great liar. Dude, we go to restaurants and never have to pay. Like literally, I remember we'd never have to pay because she would just lie to the point where they would just be like, whatever, we're just gonna give you a food. Or one time we got these photos done at Walmart where she went and she got four shirts for my brothers and I. We go get our pictures taken. She tucks the tags on the shirt, says don't take them off. We do the photos. Then she takes the shirts back. She gets the <laughs> shirts like, like dude, like that, that to me is kind of like the baseline for what I come from. And so like learning how to make honesty of value and then kind of reflecting on the other values that I want being, you know, kindness and self-actualization and drive and, and compassion are, are all things that are really important to me. And so when I sat down, I was in, I lived in Thailand for a while last year, like six months or something. And I met someone who actually grew up in a neighborhood not that far from me. Totally wow. different life, totally different experience. Um, she was married, had a husband in Singapore, and we're sitting having a conversation one night. And she's like, I found the perfect man. I go, that's impossible. That doesn't exist. And she goes, yes, it does. And I'll tell you why. She goes, because I wrote down everything that I want. Every piece of the puzzle of what I want out of a partner, I wrote down. And she challenged me. She goes, you should do it too. Because I've mm -hmm. been like aimlessly dating here and there. Um, I had... A, a brief relationship for like six days um <laughs> like <laughs> like two years ago but i found out that person like really had not done the work yet um and that came out really quickly and, and since i mean I, i've been overall single not dating for a very long time until recently and i'd written down all of the things based on her suggestion and one of the things she said that was really interesting, she was like, from an aesthetic standpoint, that's one thing. But to find someone who's going to make you feel like satiated, you got to do a little bit of a deeper dive. Yeah. And so I started looking at the values as a person of what I want. You're not allowed to yell at me. You got to take care of yourself mentally, yeah. emotionally, physically. Um, you can't be a heavy drinker. You definitely can't smoke. I don't think those things are definitely values, but they're aesthetic, right? I think, and, and I don't have an answer for this in its entirety, Jimmy, so I'm sorry, but I think okay. that values have to be determined within the confines of the relationship. So I think in order for you to really kind of say, all right, these are the things that we want. You have your pieces of you, you have your pieces of them, but to come together and put values into a way that creates something, 
that I've got to figure out because I don't know. Because I've, I've until this point, it kind of hasn't really happened. Right. And it's all into like what I have people do, like when you write that list, I always ask the question, you know, in those values that you do, do you value? Are you that for yourself? And are you, are you that for other people in your life? Like, because, you know, that's one thing to write those things down and you have an expectation of somebody else to give it to you. Are you bringing that to the table? Are you, you know, giving that to the people in your life? You know, so that's such an important aspect of when you write your values down to, you have to make sure that you can bring that to the table. So something I want to coattail on that. I took a moment to really understand if I was ready to actually be dating about a little over a year and a half ago. And I was listening to this podcast called Relationship Theory by Tom and Lisa Bilyeu. And Tom said something that changed the way I think about dating and relationships. And he said, I knew I was ready to be with Lisa, his wife, because I was willing to reciprocate my own expectations. Right. And I was like, Boom. My <laughs> fucking brain exploded because I'd never heard anyone say that. One. And two, I'd never done that. Yeah. Not one time in my life of dating had I ever been willing to give back what I was given. Hmm. Wow. I mean, that, that, like, that is just such good practice and good value. And that's really like how you know when you're you're ready to really take the next level into your relationship. And so um, like I I am curious now of like, you know, how is dating going? Like how <laughs> you know how how is that journey going now that you have these sort of value these values laid out? Like how how is it going? Um I, I think that just given the fact that we date in a very strange way in 2020 mm. um, makes it kind of one of those <laughs> things where <laughs> where you you have to set yourself up for success. Yeah. I don't I don't necessarily look at b- dating as a business transaction, but it almost in a way is. Yeah. Because I think that you have to kind of go, okay, before I ever even meet anyone, mm-hmm. do I at least have a baseline expectation of what I'm going to be stepping yeah. into? Right. Because right. you would never take a job without like reading a job description. Right. <laughs> and, and I think <clears throat> so often people set themselves up for failures because they haven't answered really important questions like, do I want a partner who is straight, gay, bisexual, lesbian, whatever? Do I want a partner who is monogamous, non-monogamous, whatever? Do I want a partner who works out? Do I want a partner who plays video games? Do I want a partner who has goals and missions and ambitions? Like you have yeah. to start asking yourselves all of these pieces of the puzzle because, and this is what I've been doing, and I recently met someone who's absolutely freaking incredible, and I, I mean, too, tell, too soon to tell what that looks like, right? But she checks off the questions that I needed to be able to answer. Um, and, and the reason is because I realized, like, I don't want to go into any moment of dating in 2020 with Bumble and Tinder and Hinge and okay, Cupid and Match and eHarmony and Uh-oh. so on and so forth with, with without having and at least baseline expectation of what I want. Yeah. And that, and that has to go both ways. And so even like I'll ask people really pointed questions um, because I think it t- it's very telling. On the day. No, before. Like I have like, I, I had three questions that I would ask people first. How do you want to be remembered? What impact do you want to make on the world? 
And what is the worst thing that you've ever done? Wow, like you ask them that like as you're interacting. You as we're texting. Yeah. <laughs> and then depending on depending on how they answer those, then I'll ask, are you dating with intention? And mm. if and and if you're dating to fuck, like awesome, you're gonna find those people. I'm not your guy, right? Because I've played that game and it's emotionally exhausting and I don't like playing that game anymore. Yes, it is. And, and, <laughs> and so is your intention to find a partner? Is your intention to build something? Is your intention to, you know, I don't know, whatever, start a family or a business or whatever? Like who, what is it that you're even doing this for? And if your response is, oh, I don't know, I'm just casual, I'm figuring it out. Like, I'm sorry, like, I hope that you figure it out, but I'm not going to meet you. I'm not your guy. I, I really love that you do that. Like, I don't meet a lot of men who actually do that, that kind of like, like it's like obvious that you've done the work. And you're like, you, you're dating with intention. And that's really how it, I think it should look because I think that what well, I've seen like firsthand, like dating, like many people just don't, it, like you said in one of your, your podcasts or your show, like people are just aimlessly dating and have no clue of what they want. You're just like wasting your time. It's like, what are we doing here? Like just having some kind of like, and I love like the questions because I always have my questions too. Like, just to really to know where people are and not just like just hooking up or being with some just to like to, to not fit alone basically um yeah. and, I, and i really love that that you do that yeah and i, I th- it, it, it just kind of came to me one day because i realized like people were only ever asking me the same questions, questions. <laughs> and i'm like come on this is so dumb like why are you wasting our time if you're just gonna say like whatever, we could talk about that all day. No, long. No, no. <laughs> but but my, my point being is I realize like if I wanna create my life, it is my responsibility. Yeah. If my dating life sucks, it's my fault. Yeah. Like to me, and and, and this is where I I tend to lose people. Everything that happens in my life is my fault, whether good or bad. I don't fault is about like placing ownership. Fault isn't necessarily about yeah. something being negative. And so if if my relationship is amazing, it's my fault. If my relationship is garbage, it is too. And, and and so like I had to think about like what is it that I want? And 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 this to I think to answer those questions and these values and building a relationship, all those things. You kind of just have to lay out a game plan of like, what do you want your life to look like? I meet so many people who have no semblance of an idea of what they want their life to be. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's step one. Don't date until you know who the hell you are. Yeah. Or who you are, where you, what do you want to be? Like have some kind of idea, you know, I just like really love like (laughs) everything you just said, you know, and just, um, and it goes back to one of your things. She's like, you know, a man who's doing the work is the new sexy. And I really love, (laughs) I really love it's true. It's like, it is. Or you see if a man or or any person has done the work, you're like, wow, that person has a real, really good understanding of themselves. They know what they want. They know what they're looking for. They're not putting up with any bullshit. And they're just like being unapologetic, unapologetic and like authentic as much as they can. And it's, and it's really super sexy, you know? Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that it's one of those things. And it goes both sides. This isn't exclusive to men, but I mean, it's across the board. Like, yeah. are you are you stepping up for yourself? Like, yeah. are you 
doing the work because the the worst thing that you're gonna do and i mean even if you're in an awful relationship now and you haven't done the work you guys can like you can start making creating change right right but but if you're single right now and you're like why doesn't anybody like me why do people stop dating me after three weeks why because you probably have some shit you need to work out <laughs> right right oh man I know we're running out of time here, but I just really love this whole conversation. Probably could talk to you even longer. Um, I'm gonna ask you these quick questions that I ask everybody uh, yeah. before we go. Um, so what does a life of love mean to you? Waking up, putting your feet on the ground and being like, you know what? I love myself. No matter what, through all the flaws, through all the chaos, through all the bad mm. things that you have done, just being like, it's okay, I'm human. We get yeah. dehumanized so often in the world because we see this idea of this yes. like, perfect person existing in the world. Everybody is fucked up. Like, don't get <laughs> twisted. You're not alone, right? And so just waking up, putting your feet on the ground, being grateful for the love that you have for yourself, that that to me is number one. Because yeah. by proxy, it, it's an aura, right? And that starts hitting everyone else. Yeah, wow. And how do you disrupt yourself? Oh, that's a great question. Today's a perfect example, man. I went, I was walking to the gym and I was like, you know what? You're acting like a real fucking baby about running. Go run a 5K. <laughs> and so I forced myself to run a 5K this morning. I've never run a 5K, not one time in my life. I hate running. I hate it I hate so it much. <laughs> I hate it so much. And I realized like I am not being accountable to myself by right. not running. And so how do I disrupt myself is in the moments when I feel comfortable, I push myself even harder. harder. Yeah. Awesome. And what does a juicy love life looks like to you? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, like to me, it's like, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. <laughs> I have this visual when, when you like are eating an orange and your mouth is just filled full of like that delicious flavor. And you're like, yes, satiated. <laughs> it's 97 degrees. You're in the New York subway and you just got a cold orange from some dude selling it out of a bucket like, of ice. Oh, God. You're like, oh <laughs> my God, this is the best thing ever. Yeah. That, that moment. Like yeah. across the board, while also recognizing that that's not always going to be how it is. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, I really love that. Thank you for sharing that, man. And last question, like where can people find you and your online and where can they get your book? Yeah, so the book is at thinkunbroken.com slash paperback, but you can also get it on Amazon or on Kindle, Think Unbroken. Um, and you can find me on everywhere on social media at Michael Unbroken. Okay. Thank you so much, Michael. And I'm so glad that we finally had this conversation and did this podcast. And uh, I just, I'm just greatly and grateful that you were able to make time and just, just be here and have this conversation. Jimmy, it's my pleasure. This was such a fun conversation. I, I wish they would all go like this, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> all right, man. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Crazy Juicy Love Podcast. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. And if you really like this podcast, please share it. Twitter, Instagram, or on your webpage. Thank you. Crazy Juicy Love.